All right, and welcome to the Rory's Nitro podcast, the show that rips up the buy rates and TV ratings and declares our own winner in some of pro wrestling's biggest head-to-head battles. This is take two as we started the podcast and I hadn't hit record. Uh, and it's myself, Lee Carlos Cunningham, along with Richie Von Sexington. How's things going, Richie? Hello, oh, it's been a while. Uh, <laughs> I just asked you that, you're sick of hearing me. <laughs> uh, there was a long chat about football, internet and TNA being shitbags, but we kind of like him. Let's start some nice. <laughs> Maybe the world just sent us a message nobody wants to hear about you streaming the Premier League. Move on. <laughs> yeah. So, so Richie's moved house, and then we've decided to take a bit of a break from the 80s as well. Um, well, the 80s timeline we're on, and we've decided to review our first ever shows. Mine is SummerSlam 1988, which I was just saying previously that I caught the bug at four years old when my cousins had this on and I went round and watched it and from then forward fell in love with wrestling LJN's Hasbro's Coliseum Home Video the memories of a wrestling fan in the late 80s early 90s that's what I started out with and Richie what about your first show Uh, In Your House Degeneration X got the bug a couple of weeks before uh, because as I said earlier Friday night was not a going out night when I was at uni but it was drinking really bad quality alcohol pop called Beaver (laughs) that's for short on my life quite considerably I think watched it saw Austin typical Attitude Era fan got the bug straight away not sure if I would have got into it any other way watched the uh, pay-per-view and then from that point it's like where you've got to watch the roar afterwards and then you're hooked and then I stayed in uh, on pretty much forever but uh probably dialed out a little bit in like the early 2000s just because it just wasn't the same anymore you've got the um obviously i started when i started but you've probably picked the time where i think wrestling had its best ever creative period um 1998 and you got in there right at the start of that the end of 97 coming into the probably the best year i can remember in wrestling so not bad timing yeah, yeah, I'm not sure if I'd have come in watching some of the stuff we've watched. I don't think if I'd watched the AWA, maybe I would be still such a fan. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it just, just, it's just perfect timing. It just the, the Attitude Era. I know people wax lyrical about it a lot, but it does kind of that was kind of like a real indicator of the times. I'm not saying that when you look back, some of it is as acceptable as it was at the times, but that is late nineties. The music, the, in many respects, this, the, how society was, was, was a lot like that. Just obviously dialed up. Yeah. If Jerry Springer was hot on TV and corn and limp biscuit, both made it to number one in the charts. And that should tell you what the time period was. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, it, it was a different time. I, I didn't realize it. How, how different it is but when, definitely when you go back now certainly certain things that do make you somewhat uh, cringe yeah. yeah they age as a little bit it's it's funny now like I, I am my team I'm coaching this year are under 16s and I still just boggles my mind that I'm in front of these nearly adult boys and they were actually not born until after the Attitude Era finished that's how old we're getting and how long ago yeah. this period of wrestling was yeah, it also says shows just what an impact it has because everything is about wanting the attitude era back, or it seems to be from fans. And you just can't, you can't, you can't catch lightning in a bottle. You can't do it twice. They need to, they need to drop it. I know we're going on to the modern stuff, but then it needs to be what it is today, not not a rehash of whoever it is versus a authority figure and things like that. 
Yeah, something's going to happen at some point. You've got to hope that's just going to set the industry on fire and we'll be away at the races again. But until then, we'll go back and keep reviewing the shows where it was really good <laughs> and some not so Oh, good. yes. So these two shows obviously didn't go head-to-head. Um, SummerSlam was Madison Square Garden in front of a sellout of 20,000. It was August 29th, 1988 and drew approximately 180,000 pay-per-view buys. Degeneration X in your house, Springfield Civic Center from Springfield, Massachusetts on December 7th, 1997, had a crowd of only 6,358 and a 159,000 buys on pay-per-view. So SummerSlam, definitely the hotter of the two tickets, but it was sort of smack bang in the middle of a very hot period, whereas the DX pay-per-view was just before things set on fire again. So that's sort of the tail of the tape as to where the two shows were anyway. Now, which of the two shows did you watch first? I went to SummerSlam. The WWF, what the world is watching. Alrighty, so both of these shows started with um, the little, you know, two-second video clip that really made the um, the old memory warm a little bit. This first one was the Mean Gene uh, voiced over SummerSlam 88, where it's the WWF, what the world is watching, and just immediately back to childhood when I heard that. It's just, it's just better. The Fink is just, and Mean Gene and all those, they're just better. Absolutely. Speaking of better, uh, Gorilla Monsoon welcomes us to Madison Square Garden, and then we go into a really cool, like, only short but awesome music video package. I'll play a splice of the music in at the start of this ep- uh, show. But yeah, just a basic little rundown as the guys in the main events, the Mega Powers and the Mega Bucks. Yeah, it was a great little... You, you don't need to have watched the shows to watch the pay-per-view. I always like that. Just get everyone up to speed, nice and quick. And then Gorilla Monsoon um, immediately starts going into his word of the night. That's a happening. I think I've got a happenometer somewhere. I'm sure I counted it. I tried and I failed, so I'm glad you did. (laughs) And then he introduces his colour commentator for the night, superstar Billy Graham. Um, and we can't get away from him, can we? He's, 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 I think this is the fourth, third, third or fourth show we've reviewed in a row that's had built superstar Billy Graham on. The only thing that saddened me here is, like, back in the um, mid to late 80s when Ventura was a commentator, he'd get up and pose on the, on the announce desk and give the crowd something to cheer about. Superstar Billy Graham just refused to give me that karate dance. Yeah, yeah, it was a shame. I know he's, he's back pumped and in tie guy. I know he's... Uh, he put a bit, a bit of weight on since the last time we saw him. Indeed, training for that big hot comeback. Oh, oh yeah. We can hear the crowd count down in the background to the show starting, so immediately I realised this is probably the live pay-per-view version as opposed to the Coliseum Home video, which I had for years and years, so it just feels a little bit different to start with, but you can also tell the crowd are very hot, um, and it's heel heat because the Fabulous Rougeos are coming down to no music. Yeah, yeah I, I can never work, work out why... They're, they're getting, getting the job as entrance is, is nowadays, nowadays, or whether they, they just, just didn't, didn't have any music, music or they'll cut it. But I couldn't see anything offensive that the Fabulous Rougeau brothers would have. No, they get music later on. It's the All-American Boys, uh, but maybe at this stage they didn't have it. I know a lot of acts didn't get music immediately. Um, old Hacksaw was one that took a while to get music. Uh, Hacksaw, my, my new, uh, new, my my new uh, best, best friend, friend on Twitter. Twitter. 
<laughs> he loves you. So getting a like from Hacksaw Jim Duggan. That's, That's up there with getting a retweet, uh, getting a tweet back from Richard Hammond. Hammond. Oh, I'm, I am followed by both Pete Gass and Sean Stasiak, so I'm going to have to at least enter my hat into the race here. Oh, yeah, that's, that's good. good. Especially, uh, uh, Sean, Sean Stasiak. Stasiak. Yeah, yeah meet, meet great, great one. one. <laughs> so the matchup here is Fabulous Rougeau brothers taking on the British Bulldogs, um, Dynamite Kid and Davy Boy Smith. The Rougeaus start off offering a hand, but the Bulldogs are not interested. We get some headbutts from Dynamite. And Ray comes in for a cheap shot on... I'm oh, sorry, Ray Rougeau hits a cheap shot on the clean break. Davy Boy hits an arm drag and a drop kick. Gorilla Monsoon drops It's a Happening a few more times. I think, I think I've, I've got, got two in this match. And <laughs> <laughs> um, we get a Dynamite Kid headbutt and an arm drag. Davy Boy with a sunset flip for a two. And then we get It's a Happening again from Gorilla Monsoon. So definitely two in this match at least. <laughs> definitely. <laughs> Davy Boy and Ray exchange some pins. The Bulldogs hit a double shoulder before Jacques starts working over the leg. Uh, him and Ray exchange some double team moves. Davy Boy comes back with a small package for a two before getting isolated by the heels. He hits a nice monkey flip and a drop kick, uh, bringing back in the Dynamite Kid, who hits a snap suplex and a back suplex for a two count. Davy Boy hits his running slam, but Jacques makes a save and then sneaks in and hits a nice back suplex on the Dynamite Kid for a two count. We get an abdominal stretch, a double-team slam and splash from the Rougeos, and then Dynamite Kid comes back in. Gorilla Monsoon again says this is a happening. We get a double-team drop kick from the Bulldogs, a hot tag, and then Bull- Brit- uh, Davy Boy misses a drop kick, gets um, crotched on the press slam. Davy Boy presses the Dynamite Kid into a headbutt, so throws his own partner. Um... And then the bell rings. Sorry, that's what I've lost myself in my notes here. Inexplicably, the bell rings, and the commentators speculate that the time limit has expired. And when we get around to Howard Finkel, that is indeed what's happening. The time limit has expired, so this match is a draw. What did you think about this for an opening match? Oh, it was good. Fast. I didn't mind the draw. Well, when they don't time limit, put the time limit up. I think the draws work a lot better. Don't make me think about it. With someone counting the time out. I thought, thought that uh, it was interesting because it must be around the period. That was a pretty epic fail. Well, now we're even for me not recording before. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I was going to record my half, but I'll have to give that up because I think that's, that's what crashed. crashed. That's all right. I've still got mine going, so we're good. So you're saying that you thought the time limit draw works better when you haven't got the countdown, which I agree with completely. Yeah, yeah it's, it's just... just... You don't, don't feel cheated because you don't, don't know that that's, that's what they've got planned. planned. I hate the, oh, it's planned thing. Don't, 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 you don't, you don't need, need it. It, it just, just makes, makes it more, more, more exciting. More exciting. I, thought I thought that the, uh, the, the fact, fact that they're working together, together you know, they actually spy each other and they're back to show how professional wrestlers can kind of be. I didn't think Dynamite was probably laying in a little bit, but I've heard that that's kind of how we wrestled anyway. Gorilla Monsoon throwing us to some footage that took place between Brutus the Barber Beefcake and Outlaw Rumbass. This is something I've got vivid, vivid memories of as a child. And it was a little bit different here. And the one thing I noticed is Gorilla Monsoon says, you'll see some exciting footage as he throws. And I'm thinking, it's probably not the way I would have described this. So what it is, is Rumbass doing a run-in on a beefcake match choking him with a whip and attacking him with a spur, and no, it's not a remake of Fifty Shades of Grey. It's a pretty vicious heel beatdown. And yeah, I remember watching this as a kid, and 
when I was a kid, they put like a red X over the screen and put censored, and there was a really weird whirring noise where they like seemed to censor the sound as well. But we don't get that. We get the red X, but the sound is impeccable on this one, which is a little bit strange. From there, we go to... Yeah, it's brutal, brutal isn't it? it? I, I, I don't, don't know, know if the, uh, the censored uh, makes it feel more brutal, but uh, that's odd. I mean, I've, I've seen complete bloodbath, but there was something about this which was kind of kind of out of place, given it was kind of the cartoony era of the WWF at that point. And then you've got someone blading quite, a, quite spectacularly with a spur to the forehead. In fact, they're saying I, if I remember correctly. I don't think it's his forehead, I think they say they attacked his eye. Yeah, so what this amounts to is Beefcake is being removed from the Intercontinental title match with the Honky Tonk Man, and this is the reason why. During this as well, like even though it was quite vicious and graphic, I couldn't help but notice there was a guy in the crowd dressed as a million dollar man, so that did pop me while this was going on. Yeah, I always love that someone somewhere not quite... They're trying to do something really serious, and there's always someone in the crowd either dressed up or got a sign that's got someone is a on it, you know, some form of slur or... <laughs> so the slur I can't even use nowadays. Uh, yeah, in the background, and then you've got someone like, like and they've, they've got their uh, their concerned voice on. I just, uh, it's just, I just, what I love about wrestling crowds is always so inappropriate there. Well, people, you talk about the concerned voice, and people sort of often criticise the low voice now. It's called the Owen voice, isn't it, when they talk about commentators trying to sell something seriously. But I'd sure prefer that to Gorilla Monsoons. You'll see some exciting footage. Yeah, so a man losing his eye. <laughs> we go to our next matchup, which is Bad News Brown taking on Ken Patera, uh, who comes out looking just like the evil robot Richard Simmons from The Simpsons. Well, go and do your worst. My worst, eh? Smithers, release the robotic Richard Simmons. Come on, big boy, shake the butter off those buns. Come on, come on, girl, shake, shake, shake. Smithers, it's out of control. Take him out, sir. Check, check, check. Check, check, check. Check, check. His ass is gonna blow! Ah! Okay, his, his, his hair is truly fantastic. <laughs> Doesn't stop him getting jumped early, though. Bad News Brown goes on the offense with a slam and some punches. Patera comes back with a clothesline and finally gets his coat off after being attacked early. Hits a back elbow, a slam, and misses an elbow drop. Brown comes back with some strikes. Uh, Patera hits a hip throw, a clothesline, and an elbow. Then a backbreaker and a small package, all garnering two counts. Locks in a bear hug, which the commentators get over as being one of his special moves, before Brown gets out of it with an eye poke. And then they botch a corner post run. This is supposed to lead into the finish where Patera is supposed to go shoulder first into the post and come out and get hit with the ghetto blaster. But instead of going shoulder first, he sort of just hits the buckles normally and escapes. So they repeat the spot. Um, as I said already, he goes shoulder first into the post. And then Bad News Brown hits the Ghetto Blaster, which was an awesome finisher for the time for the 1 2 3. Oh, oh, I thought this match was a bit, bit slow, but I don't know if that's because the other one was pretty quick. I wasn't uh, overly impressed with this one. Although I do like Bad News Brown. 
I think he's more Ken Patera. I'm not into bad news, Brown. He's certainly not a gym man, but I, ain't, I would never mention it to him because, yeah, let's face it, he's possibly in the top five hardest men in wrestling by all, all accounts, by the sounds of it. Certainly didn't take any uh, any form of uh, insults from anyone. <laughs> yeah, the famous story about Andre refusing to get off the bus and confront him. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, if Andre the Giant is... Uh, even, even the size of Andre, you would think would give him an advantage, but if he's not going to even entertain the idea then uh, yeah that says uh, he's definitely up there with Haku yeah I agree I'm, I think you're right on the Kemper Terra front as well because I seem to if this isn't his last show then the Survivor Series or the following Rumble probably would be but I don't think he's around much longer after this no, no he never worked I don't think for him I, don't, I certainly don't think he's got another singles pay-per-view match in his run, so this is definitely the beginning of the end for him. Um, we then get Gorilla and Superstar strangely hyping a boxing pay-per-view, a Sugar Ray Leonard fight coming up, uh, which Gorilla tells us twice that it will be a happening. Yeah, he was really excited for promoting someone else's match. It's like it's, it's weird now that the WWE doesn't do things like that. They, they very rarely... Uh, mention anything unless like it's UFC when they manage to get Rousey or stuff like that but uh, yeah it's weird they, they, they pipe this quite a bit only Vince put some money in <clears throat> it's got to have been money exchanging hands one way or the other you would think well, unless, unless maybe it was uh, Atlantic City and he was doing Trump a favour yeah possibly we then get the Mega Powers with Mean Gene, and they talk about Liz being their secret weapon, so we'll splice some of that in here and of course my favourite part the Mega Powers handshake all right, to get here at SummerSlam 88, this awesome twosome, the Mega Powers, later on tonight, here to meet the Mega Bucks, comprised of Andre the Giant and the Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase, Hulk Hogan, I know you're ready. Well, you know me, Gene, they've already made a believer out of me, man. A couple hours before the match, you can already feel Madison Square Garden rumbling, brother. I know what Hulkamania feels like. I know what the Macho Madness feels like. But together as one, that's the Mega Powers. We definitely are the strongest force in the universe, and the dude here is going in with a clear conscience. I've never built so much electricity. Oh, yeah, I'm talking the mania and the madness together. There's the mega powers, yeah. And besides that, means in Oakland, oh, yeah, we have a secret weapon. Oh, yeah. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Hold on, gentlemen. Secret weapon. This is this is the first lady of wrestling, Elizabeth. That's the secret weapon. You better believe it, Mean Gene. You don't think we go into this thing without the 24-inch pythons loaded, brother? We've got Elizabeth, our secret weapon, and the last thing those mega bucks are gonna see is the kiss of death, Mean Gene. Oh, my ladies and gentlemen, stand what by for this one. What are they gonna do when the mega powers come running through? No way to stop us! No, oh, no way! Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, I love it. I mean, uh, this interview is entirely brought to you by the power of cocaine. <laughs> or certainly, I mean, it, it's just it's it's just gibberish. The one thing that that kind of made me sad a little bit is you look at Liz there, and then you realise in nine years' time, kind of when we're doing uh, the next show, uh, she she she's heel and she's dressed like, you know, they always try to make her not be Liz. I, I, it's one of the things I just don't like about uh, that time WCW. I just, I don't know. She's the first lady of wrestling and she shouldn't be uh, hanging around with Ric Flair being a heel. Yeah, it's a bit like um, putting Michelle Obama in a tight skirt and sending her out to throw powder in someone's eyes, isn't it? Like, it's just not going to work. Some people are just meant to be classy. Yeah, 
and, and, and the stories apparently in the back of uh, them trying to get her to to reveal more. He's just he's just a bit sleazy for someone. I think I think maybe more because you know it didn't. It's sort of like it declines and you know dying of a, a drug overdose. So it takes maybe a bit morbid, but it's just it's all a bit sad when you see it here. Yeah, this is definitely Liz in her pomp and glory. <laughs> We then go to Ravishing Rick Rude taking on the Junkyard Dog, and for some reason Rick Rude's music is overdubbed. I don't quite get that one. No, I wondered if it was uh, overdubbed. Uh, I can't work out what he'd be coming out to that would need licensing. We just had, like, a better... Like, he's got kind of stripperish music here, but he just had a much better version. Yeah, yeah, it's just weird what they'll cut out. And it just kills... I mean, I know they've got to do it, but it's, I've just got to the point where Jericho's music's changed in WCW and uh, they've spliced Break the Walls Down, which is an excellent entrance music, but you have no idea what Jericho's pop's like because they've had to splice it in. Yeah, I can't watch the one-night stand shows on the network for that very reason. No, uh, I, it's one of the few things I wish I'd, I'd recorded. Uh, and, and Or... or uh, at least downloaded back when downloading was less likely to get you a knock on the door. <laughs> yeah. Well, when I do finally get around to the point where I'm going to review some of them shows, if anyone has the original versions and wishes to share a copy, not for profit, please do get in touch. Oh, you can't listen to the Sandman because the Sandman's entrance is the Sandman. And then he comes out to the uh, knockoff Enter Sandman from uh, from Jim Johnson's library of knockoffs. And it's, it's not even that close it's not like uh, the dudley boys and highway to i don't know highway highway to kind of hell where they just change the chords around and it's like well it's almost there they could have at least changed him to mr sandman yeah at least it'd been funny (laughs) but i digress rude comes out to some weird music and jyd comes out to his thump music and rick rude jumps in before the bell jyd hits a huge backdrop and his crawling headbutts Rude hits a clothesline and a top rope axe handle. We get a pretty big JYD chant from the crowd here. They were pretty, he was pretty over. Were you surprised at that? I was because he's not like uh, uh, like the stereotypical star of the time. But uh, what, what I did particularly like is they're still running to the same uh, trope. Uh, his head is hard. I wonder why that is. <laughs> yeah, um, you could definitely modify that old saying and say the blacker the berry, the harder the head. Yeah, it's oh, it's just it's another one. You just slightly, slightly now. You're like, ooh, uh, I, I, I wish, I wish you'd not done that. It's a little bit racist. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just you don't need, you just don't think like. But I mean, at the time, I mean, it was just a standard wrestling trope. I guess I'm not defending it, but it's just, uh, you know, it's just is what it is. But yeah, yeah, I always like it because well, I don't like it, but I was like hearing it, and I'm like. Ooh, you, you won't get away with that now. No, not you probably should have got away with it then, but uh, there you know. Indeed. Uh, we get a snapmare and a chin lock, and then a weasel chant uh, at Bobby Heenan, who's at ringside. JYD hits some headbutts, but gets distracted by Heenan, allowing Recruit to hit a Russian leg sweep, and goes up top, pulls down his tights to reveal a second set of tights, and this second set has a picture of Cheryl Roberts airbrushed onto it. Comes off with a fish drop from the top, but Jake Roberts has pegged it down the aisle, comes in and nails him with punches, clotheslines him over the top, and this, of course, brings the obvious bell for the disqualification, Rick Rude picking up the victory over the JYD. 
Jake is in the ring fairly apologetic to JYD, who seems somewhat understanding of the situation. Yeah, I mean, he, it kind of made sense. Jung, Junkyard Dog didn't seem that bothered to, to lose because, you know, it was a man defending his wife. Pretty much. We then go to Gene with Jimmy Hart and the Honky Tonk Man, and Gene's trying to tell them who his new opponent's going to be, but Honky Tonk Man does not want to hear it. He doesn't care. He says he'll wrestle anybody. The question is, do you think he'll, he'll regret that decision? I have a feeling he may do. There's a, there is a possibility that uh, he will rue the day he didn't ask who his opponent was. From there, we go to our next match, which is the Bolsheviks taking on the Powers of Pain. So this was early in the run for the Powers of Pain, and they still are looking pretty badass here. Oh, I, lo- I love them. They're, uh, they're just, they're just... You didn't miss that kind of horse-like hoss. Just big power moves. Um, I'm a sucker for heavy machinery, and I also don't mind the, uh, the Authors of Pain for that, because it's just something different. Just go in, smash mouth. I kind of like I like the authors of pain, heavy machinery. I think they need, really need to bring back the reals man, man, real man's man to manage them if they're going to get anywhere. Yeah, I mean they've, they've, they're not going to translate to the main roster. I mean, they were, did you see the match where they were popping out all like the dance moves? I don't recall. No. Yeah, it was like uh, one of them was doing the worm. I'm sure it was the uh, uh, heavy machinery the other week. I think somebody said show a bit more personality, so they went, okay, we're going to copy Scotty too hotty. <laughs> <laughs> That's a surefire way to get over. Well, I guess it worked for a year. For him. <laughs> the um, Bolsheviks start singing the Russian national anthem as they did back then, but the Powers of Pain cut it off to a pretty decent pop from the crowd. We get some double clotheslines from the Powers of Pain, but the Russians powder to the outside. When we get going, Barbarian hits a nice back elbow, but botches a backdrop reverse. Warlord comes in and hits a fist drop for a two. Um, we get. I noticed the Warlord's hair here, right? So he's got the Road Warrior Hawk haircut, not the animal one, the one with the, the patch on either side, and he's just dyed one patch ginger, which is a little bit weird. It's it's a bizarre look. I know they try to look a bit different, but I'm not sure that's the way. <laughs> he hits a suplex, uh, belly to belly, which Gorilla Monsoon calls belly to belly job there. And we then get um, Nikolai Volkov jumping in from behind, uh, the Bolsheviks hit, hit some double-team moves here and work over the Warlord, who just won't go off his feet. Nikolai Volkov hits his patented spin kick to the belly button before we get a block on a double backdrop attempt from the Bolsheviks. Hot tag to the Barbarian, who goes to work on both with slams, and a nice axe kick and a clothesline, a big boot. Then we get a double shoulder block from the Powers of Pain, a running power slam from the Warlord, and Barbarian off the top rope with a pretty devastating-looking diving headbutt for the 1-2-3 in what was slightly better than your usual squash match. Oh, yeah, it was good. It, it, again, everyone, everyone seems to think this area of wrestling, they couldn't go, but it's just different. And I, I actually quite enjoy it. I, it, it I'm, either I'm getting old or it's just, it is entertaining. They're not flipping. They're not flipping. Everyone's not having to do a suicide dive. If everyone does a suicide dive in every match, then why? It shouldn't be called a suicide dive. It should just be called a dive because you know you do it and like it's like a last gas move. It's it's something a desperation move, but it's like it's not that anymore. You know, I like it. I enjoy it. I really do like a lot of the wrestling on these show on this show in particular. You can put all the flips and dives on 205 Live 
up against Barbarian coming off the top rope, and I know which one I'd go with nine times out of ten. Yeah, yeah. And they just look look the part as well. It's, uh, I don't know. Maybe I, I do wish for a more kayfabe times. Yeah, I think the Powers of Pain, definitely um, one of them teams that didn't quite get the longevity of the run, but when they were hot, they were they were a really fantastic team to watch. Yeah, yeah, it's just... just... It's like the Bludgeon Brothers now. I've not seen much of them, but it's like I just like the idea they come in, destroy someone, and go. Why? There's no need for I don't know complexity. Just keep it simple. Braun, for example, just keep it simple. He's a big guy. He's a machine. Job done. Just let him do ridiculous things. Oh, he's gotten hugely over just coming out and beating people up. Yep, and then just being one of the most charismatic characters on the roster. We then get an ad for the upcoming Survivor Series because it was obviously just four pay-per-views a year back here. Um, would go to five in a few years' time, but this was actually the first ever SummerSlam. So this is the first year of Rumble, Mania, SummerSlam, and Survivor Series all taking place. Gorilla Monsoon tells us that it will be a happening and explains why and then finishes by telling us it will be a happening. Yeah, yeah, he, he gets to it. It's, it's a happening squared. <laughs> And then we go to, this is, even from being a kid, remembering this show and all the times I watched it, this is part of the show that the fast-forward button normally got worn out. Brother Love, for the Brother Love show, in the ring, interviewing Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Oh, it's, it's terrible. It's, it's not good. I mean, even, even my new favourite wrestler, Hacksaw, can't save this. And he's got one of them awful um, write-in, uh, sending your check and money order to the WWF magazine, Hacksaw Jim Duggan t-shirts on. It is awful. Oh, it's it's awful. I, I just don't understand how, in a way, Hacksaw's a face, given that he carries a two-by-four to the ring. That's his, that's his thing. It's like, I'm a face, but here's the weapon I will most doubt hit you in the face with. It's, it's kind of, well, that's not really fair. <laughs> Gorilla Monsoon, as usual, says, "Can you listen to all the yo's?" <laughs> it's like not quite. It's uh, it's not that. It's not that. It's uh, it, you got that wrong, Gorilla. But we'll leave it. We'll leave you at it. He never corrects it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and actually, this made me laugh when I, at the, when I was watching it back. It's he says that, and the camera's on Hacksaw, and his shirt says "ho." <laughs> Yeah. It's like, how wrong can you be? Unless he was, like, morally against yelling, ho, then uh, but I can't see it. Yeah. It's um, it's just not good. So Brother Love tells him he has no love, that he carries a weapon, blah, 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 blah. Hacksaw says ho, calls him a phony, and then gives him a count to get out the ring before hitting him with a 2 by 4 and Brother Love legs it to the back. So He doesn't, he doesn't even give him until 5. I think he was 1, 2, 3, 4 swings at him. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Yeah. We then get another boxing advert, which Gorilla tells us will be a happening. Yeah, it is. At this point, I have got he's uh, probably doing Trump, uh, Donald Trump a favour, so I think he was at Atlantic City. That's why they were doing it. Uh, Superstar's pretty jacked, actually. I think at this point, I realised how much uh, he'd actually uh, been working out in comparison to the last time we saw him in 83. That's why he's got the tie-dye back on and not the gi. Yeah, it's a, it's a shame because it does him no favours because I don't, I don't think he's uh, particularly uh, living a pain-free existence right now. No, definitely not. I don't think he was back then either, to be fair. It's not far after this, he's on the cane. Yeah, yeah. He's, he, he, he looks kind of good, but he's too old to make a comeback, really, I think, by this point. We then go to our next match, which is our first title match of the evening. The Honky Tonk Man defending his Intercontinental Championship against a mystery opponent. 
And when the music hits for this mystery opponent, the crowd goes berserk, but the commentary team clearly have no idea whose music it is. The famous line from Superstar being, that's the million music, brother, and they have no clue whose music it is. The Honky Tonk Man doesn't and care. He doesn't even want to know. Here it comes. Who is his opponent? Come on, Howard. Howard doesn't even know. Howard Finkel, the announcer, doesn't know. Come on, brother. Let's get he it shook together. His head. Get me somebody out here to wrestle. I don't care who it is. Oh, don't say that, don't, don't say that, my man. There's some people back there in the locker rooms who would take this man apart. We're all waiting here with anticipation as to the who the opponent will be. Well, maybe we haven't got an opponent. Well, maybe uh, we have an opponent, but, uh, uh, you know, maybe he's still lacing up his boots. Who knows, man? Wait a minute, wait a minute. Somebody's music. That's familiar music, brother. They've exploded here in the garden. I don't see anybody yet. Here is the oh, It's the ultimate warrior. One man. Oh, look at him attack. This place has gone bananas. Ultimate warrior, Lord. I mean, the Gorilla Monsoon. They're going to take over, man. That's what you do if you want something. You go out and get it, baby. Ultimate Warrior exploding here on the Honky Tonk Man. Beautiful flight tackle. The bell is gone and it's officially underway. The Warrior doesn't know what to do. He's so excited. The <laughs> title definitely up for grabs here. Oh, we could get a new champion right now, Gorilla Monsoon. Right now, brother, we could get a new champion. I'm here to Big tell you. Big Flash hooks the leg. That's he it. got it. History has been oh, made here. My goodness. I love it. I love it. Look at this place go bananas! Pandemonium has run wild in Madison Square Garden, my man! History once again made here in Madison Square Garden! The winner of this contest! So the warrior comes out and they the crowd, as I said, goes nuts, sprints to the ring, hell for leather, punches, a slam, a big tackle, a clothesline, and a splash on Honky, who's not even got out of his jumpsuit, and the one, two, three for your new intercontinental title holder ending the longest reigning Intercontinental Championship reign in history of the Honky Tonk Man. Yep, which gave us, uh, not probably 10, 15 years later, the Honky, was it the Honky Meter? With, uh, it sense, it him. Yeah, yeah, had, had that was on the sign, no, I, I never quite understood why they started that and then took the title off him. It's just, it's, it's like they like to fail. <laughs> yeah, here's something that's getting over, let's stop. Yeah, I thought it was good. I mean, you can't see the Warriors' normal downsides came out. I kind of wish I didn't know it was coming because I thought it kind of ruined it because I knew the minute it said mystery opponent, I was like, oh, yeah, I know, what, I know where we are now. But, yeah, no, it's good. It runs in, does what it has to do. You don't want to watch a longer Warrior match. Oh, a longer Warrior honky match could be brutal, but this was brilliant and the crowd went nuts. Yeah, yeah again, proving that you don't need to have a 17 minute sort of like back and forth. I think Goldberg proved that against Brock. It's it's, it's, it's unexpected. Yeah, definitely. We then get another uh, showing of the same entrance video from the start of the show uh, with the classic music, the main event advert. 
Bobby Heenan joins the commentary team and they have a bit of a chat. This is all taking place because intermission's happening in the building and this is something that still happened back in 1988. We then get another weird overdub on music for the night. This is The Rock Don Morocco coming out to take on Canadian strongman Dino Bravo. So this is probably the one of the earlier memories of Dino Bravo. I know at the Royal Rumble and WrestleMania it was there. The Rumble, he had the famed world's strongest man attempt at the bench press with Jesse Ventura helped him and that got him a lot of heat that lasted a long time yeah, yeah, yeah it was, was uh, it's, it's not, not great, great that that, 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 uh, that, that little, little section, section. Isn't, isn't he Don, Don Morocco, Morocco pretty, pretty dodgy? dodgy is he, is he dodgy, dodgy Don, Don Morocco, Morocco. Dino, 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 Dino Bravo, Bravo. <laughs> Dino Bravo was executed supposedly by the Canadian Mafia um Gangland style shot a lot of times while sat in his chair. Yeah, yeah I, think I think it was something to do with, with uh, cigarette smuggling over the border. But, uh, I mean, that's correct. That, 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 that is, that's, that's not, not the way, way to go. go. No, poor Dino. It was a Canadian earthquake when he needed him. Well, I mean, I mean just, just not around, around to help him. <laughs> so the match gets started with Dino Bravo hitting a leapfrog, uh, Don Morocco a hip toss, a slam, and an arm drag. Dino comes back with an inverted atomic drop. Before Morocco hits a Russian leg sweep, they've exchanged some punches backwards and forwards. Morocco hits a backdrop and then nails Frenchie Martin, who gets up on the apron. Frenchie Martin absolutely has to be contender for the worst manager of all time. Yeah, yeah there's, there's, there's a few, a few on, on that list, list but, but he's, he's definitely very high up. I don't, I don't even see what he brings, brings to, the, to, the, to the entire thing. thing. Manager's got, got to do, do something. something. He's just, he's rubbish. You talk about the um, the hard heads of the darker competitors, but Frenchie Martin is still probably the biggest stereotype I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Look, Look at him. him. He's, he's, he's French. French. <laughs> he, he's a painter. He has a monocle and a beret and a long blue coat. It's just awful. All, All he's, he's missing, missing is some onions, onions and a cycle. <laughs> onion tied in his belt, belt which is, is the uh, style, style of the times. times. <laughs> <laughs> Dino lifts up... Um, Sorry, Morocco lifts up Dino for a slam, but they hit the referee and come back down. Uh, the distraction is just enough for Bravo to sneak in and hit the side suplex and pick up the one, two, three um, for a bit of a surprise victory. Dino pinning Don Morocco relatively clean. Yeah, I, I, I thought, thought there was, was going to be some shenanigans. shenanigans. I, don't I don't know, know if Frenchie forgot, forgot that he had to do some shenanigans. shenanigans. Thought, uh, Don, Don the Rock looked, looked kind of who someone they, they probably want to push. push. Didn't, Didn't seem, seem like, like he was going, going anywhere. anywhere. He's another one where I don't think he has another singles pay-per-view match, so obviously on the way out here. Um, but yeah, Dino Bravo picking up the pretty big victory for him. Yeah, yeah I wasn't a big fan of this match. match. I, 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 I don't think any time I've seen Dino, Dino Bravo. It's uh, been, been a particularly good, good match, but maybe, uh, maybe just, just bad luck on my part. Yeah, I don't think he's had too many classics that you've missed out on. We then go to Sean Mooney with Jesse the Body Ventura in front of a really awful SummerSlam 88 green screen. It's pretty bad looking. Oh, oh it's, it's awful. awful. It's just green, green screen, screen never works. The highlight of this interview is when Mooney's questioning Jesse about having been given money on the Brother Love Show by DiBiase. He says, if someone puts $100 bills in your pocket, are you going to stop them? Yeah, yeah I, I just, just love, love the way, way that Jesse, Jesse isn't necessarily playing face or heel. He's just playing Jesse. Yeah doing what suits himself. We then go to our second title match of the evening. Another jobber entrance here, but this time it's for the Hart Foundation, sadly, and they're challenging current title holders, Demolition. 
Oh, oh hell, hell yeah. yeah. Here, here comes the axe, axe and here, here comes, comes the smasher. smasher. It's peak demolition here, and what a theme song. Probably, I have to say, this is probably, in my opinion, the greatest wrestling theme song. Just, just perfect. perfect. We start the match with Axe beating on Bret Hart. Um, oh, Jimmy Hart, of course, is also out there, as well as Mr. Fuji, both with the demolition. The story here is that Jimmy Hart still holds the contract for the Hart Foundation, so he's sharing all their training secrets with Mr. Fuji to give demolition the edge. You wouldn't, you wouldn't have, have thought, thought the signs of demolition, demolition and the way they, they were, of course, you would need an edge, an edge but, but it just, just makes them more heelish because they, they could win straight, straight but they, they, they win, win by cheating, cheat, which is, you know, better. better. Absolutely. Axe hits a nice slam on Brett. Brett hits roll up for a two count and an arm drag, and then um, goes on, goes to work on the arm. Nightheart comes in and hits a shoulder block. Brett hits a drop kick and then is sent shoulder first into the ring post, the same way Ken Patera was earlier in the night. Jimmy Hart is chased to the back by Jim Neidhart. We then get a shoulder breaker from Smash, and Demolition take turns working over Bret Hart's arm. They hit his arm into the ring post on the outside, and for some reason, after all this working over on his left arm, the injury magically switches to his right arm, which is a very, very strange thing to have happened. But yeah, I rewound it back. It definitely does switch arms. Which is odd, because they, they always, always sell the, the left. left. So it <laughs> makes, makes you wonder, wonder why, why, why he, he forgot. forgot. It's really weird, and Gorilla Monsoon, like, Brett, I think, does something with his right arm coming up here, and Gorilla mentions it being that injured arm, and yeah, it was definitely... The one that hit the post was the left. Uh, it's, it's not, not like, like Brett, Brett to make, make a mistake. mistake. Uh, certainly, certainly, if you ask Brett, Brett it's, it's not like he did Brett, Brett makes a mistake. mistake. <laughs> yeah. he, get, he gets the hot tag to the anvil, but it's missed by the referee. He finally does then get the hot tag. Nightheart comes in and hits a drop kick, a few slams, and a clothesline, so a pretty big pop. The anvil was on fire here. He's he's a, he's, he's, I, like I like the look, look of Ranville. I mean, Ranville's read Brett's book. It's not, not surprising he doesn't, he doesn't make, make too many, many inroads outside of the Hart Foundation. Foundation but, but he's good. good. Uh, again, again yeah, I like tank, tank teams, teams, two, two different, different styles. styles. Just, it works. Definitely. He then, Brett slingshots Neidhart over the ropes to the floor onto Demolition, which was really cool. Back in the ring, he hits a power slam for a two count, and Brett hits a backbreaker for a two. Uh, Fuji gets on the apron and Nightheart goes to punch him and because this, they're not ready to set up the final spot yet Fuji looks like Superman with Nightheart unloading with punches in the face and Fuji will not go down it's a pretty funny botch yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's like, like you've, got you've got this, this massive man powerhouse, powerhouse and he and just, just can't, can't put this, this uh, relatively small guy, guy down, down. <laughs> small old frail manager just taking punches like the Undertaker in his pump what this is setting up for is the um, the finish in the ring. Uh, Jimmy Hart tosses in the megaphone to Axe, who nails Bret Hart in the back of the head while he was attempting a pile driver, and this allows Demolition to pick up the 1-2-3 in a pretty decent tag team match here. It wasn't spectacular, but it was pretty good, and two teams I really enjoy watching. Again, Again not boring. boring. Definitely, definitely. But yeah, no, enjoyable. I thought this was good. Well worth a watch. And if you've not if you want to go back and check out the sort of golden era tag team scene, this is definitely one worth checking out. We then go backstage to Honky Tonk Man throwing a fit backstage and of course the classic line, I said I'd wrestle anyone, but I didn't say I'd wrestle the warrior. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I actually think he's he's quite quite annoyed. annoyed. Definitely. Very, very good stuff here. We then go to our next matchup, and just a little side note on this one. It's Big Boss Man up against Coco Beware. This is an interesting one I remember. You talk about your memories here, since this is kind of what the show we're doing is, but I used to be a purchaser and reader of the WWF magazine, and I remember when 
wrestling got popular again the second time in the Attitude Era, they started finally bringing the magazines back out after a fairly long hiatus where most news agents didn't get it. And I picked one up around about 2000, I would say. And they listed, they had a, a rundown. It must have been like the August edition. And it was a top five matches in SummerSlam history. And this made the list for some reason. I mean, I mean there's, there's been, been a lot, lot of matches, matches at SummerSlam. SummerSlam. I wouldn't put this in the top, top five. five. <laughs> no, I just inexplic- in- inexplicably remembered and couldn't understand why they did that. So No, no there's, there's, there's nothing, nothing in, in this, this match, match that, that you would, would that's that's even... even so, like, so, like, it's, it's not, not really, really a massive storyline. Story. Story. I guess it's depended on who was in good, good terms with the company at the time when they did the magazine, maybe. Yeah. So the match gets started with the boss man jumping um, with the help of Slick's distraction on top of Coco. Coco comes back with a drop kick and gets the boss man tied in the ropes in the classic big man spot. Hits a headbutt and some punches um, before... Um, superstar Billy Graham goes on a rant on commentary talking about how if Jack Tunney doesn't sort out the big boss man and make him keep his equipment away, he will. So so you talk about him looking ready for a comeback. He looked like he wanted to start a feud with the boss man here. does not, not like, like the, the boss, boss man. man. Boss man then hits an avalanche in the corner and I could close my eyes and just... And you could pause it and I'd know the next part of this where Slick's on the outside, the camera pans to him and he just gets a big, ah, told him to do that. And I just... Ah, I'll never forget that. That's brilliant. <laughs> Yeah, it's one of them things that's just forever etched in my memory. He gets a clothesline for a two. Uh, he actually lifts Coco up off the cover, strangely. Um, hits his boss man attack on the ropes, a slam. Goes for a top rope splash, but in typical unathletic big wrestler style, lands on his feet and falls and misses. Yeah, yeah it, it, you know, you know what's, what's coming. Coco crutches the big boss man on the ropes, hits some jabs, and then a huge missile drop kick nearly takes boss man's face off. That was pretty good, actually. Boss, boss man's, man's punches, punches are really, really good. good. He gets a splash for a two, but the boss man with a huge power kick out. Before the boss man catches him with his patented side move, as Gorilla Monsoon calls it, for the one, two, three, and then gives him a little dig in the ribs with a nightstick to send him home very sore, as well as on the losing end of the purse money. All right, and back after technical difficulties, we have just finished looking at the Big Boss Man versus Coco Beware matchup. So, take two, Richie. What were your thoughts on Boss Man and Coco? Not a bad match. I mean, it's it's pretty much to get Boss Man over. What particularly distracted me uh, at the end is Boss Man's in his uh, more rotund period. Not that he was ever a small bloke, but uh, his uh, his belly's hanging out of his shirt, which doesn't really strike me as badass heel. When that happens, it's more like, you know, Tuppy Lard, man. Yeah, definitely. He's um, definitely in his bigger stage here before he gets really lean and mean later on. Yeah. I mean, the cat, what I particularly like is with, when they bring the animal mascots is they, they just don't care. So they, they have, like this parrot, is uh, doesn't really do anything except just sit at the side of the ring. He's just, it seemed like Matilda and the... the it, it's a really weird dynamic, I always think, because the animal doesn't give two shits. Yeah, I'd pay good money for a Frankie run-in. <laughs> just swoops in. Just, just takes him. Yeah, yeah it was all right. I, it's been a while since I watched it now, but I, again, none of the, I don't remember any of these matches being particularly boring, which is odd, given that uh, this is when work rate was, wasn't so important. 
From there, we go to The Ultimate Warrior with Sean Mooney, which will splice a little bit in for you. And then it is off to our next matchup. Hercules versus Jake the Snake Roberts. So this one's a little bit of a strange one. At the time, I think it would have made a lot more sense for Jake to be fighting Rick Rude. But this is the day where they kept a lot of matches for the house show circuit. So this is what we got. It starts us off with Jake with some punches in control before Hercules comes back with a knee lift. Jake gets a knee lift of his own. Um, and Herc escapes the early DDT call. Um, we get a slam from Jake Roberts, a Hercules back suplex. But Jake holds onto the headlock on the way through. Some elbows, a snapmare, and a chin lock from Hercules, followed by a big clothesline for a two count and another chin lock. And then we get strikes, a chin lock, and a jawbreaker from Jake Roberts. Some punches and the short arm clothesline, which longtime wrestling fans will know was always a setup for the DDT. Hercules, however, backs out, back drops out of the DDT. They exchange some more blows, and then out of nowhere, Jake Roberts does hit the DDT for the one, two, three, before bringing Damien in to crawl all over a lifeless Hercules. So, what were your thoughts on this one, Richie? Uh, a nice slow slow match. I, I really like the way that they uh, the commentary feeds into it. It's uh, I don't think uh, I'm I'm reinventing the wheel here by saying that uh, it's something that the modern product on WWE uh, main TV could probably learn from. Just the way that they they're interacting. I I actually think that it does enhance a lot of what you would consider. They're not great technical feats, but it's a great, nice, slow match. Slow matches are, are great if you've got good commentary. And I thought this 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 was just a really good example of that. And you, you just can't lose with the DDT. It's a, it's such a shame. It's it's now just a transition move because it's it's just it's a classic. Oh yeah, absolutely. Should definitely still be a finishing move. It's one of the best finishing moves of all time, and the crowd were always digging it. From there, we go on to a video package of the main event. Um, we see a two-on-one beatdown from the heels under the Macho Man. Uh, challenges them to a tag match without announcing a partner. The heels accept. Jesse's announces a special referee. And then the Macho Man announces his partner on the Brother Love Show, which is Hulk Hogan. Um, of course, this is the whole time period of the classic Hulk Hogan Macho Man handshake as well. The electric handshake, so all fond memories for me. And that takes us on through to our main event. Jesse Ventura comes out first with no music, and then the Megabucks come out with no music. It's all very jarring, this seeing um, the period before entrance music was normal. It's, it's even weirder because this is quite late on, if you like, into the, this run of the WWF. It's not like, like I've recently watched WrestleMania 1 and I kind of, I'm used to that. I mean, that they, they hadn't come up with a package, but this is quite, quite, I don't know. You feel they would have it for everyone by now. Yeah, absolutely. It is a little bit strange. And on the entrance music front, we come out, it's the Mega Powers coming out. They come out in Hogan's colors, but to Macho's music. So a little bit of a compromise there. Um, and we get a... And, um, we got something. Yeah. I'm going I'm to suggest something wasn't happening. Ah, thank you. It's got H times 10. It was a 10th. It's a happening that I counted. <laughs> SummerSlam was. It was happening. Yeah. Before the match gets underway, Jesse lays down the law, um, including really sort of moving the tag ropes and making the, the teams change corners as well. And then we're sort of debating from both sides who's going to start the match. And out of nowhere, Andre the Giant pounds on the Macho Man. So it's Andre and Macho to start. But very briefly before he brings in Ted, um, who then wants Hulk Hogan. So Hulk comes into a big pop. 
It's an atomic drop, a clothesline, double elbows, and then an eye rake before Macho Man tags back in and hits his classic top rope axe handle. And then we get a double big boot from the faces, a slam by Hogan. And he goes to nail Andre, but Andre catches him and hits him with a headbutt, so the heels take over control a little bit more. It's a great little start to this match, I thought. thought, Especially considering at this point how much pain Andre's in. And he's still there, and he's not uh, hes not sort of like in the corner, not doing anything. They just use him very sparingly, which is, which is the best way to do it, really. Yeah, I kind of miss this era where you could main event a big pay-per-view with a tag match. I think that sort of went out towards the end of the Attitude Era, because I think this was a perfect way to, to book Andre, having him in a tag match with all main eventers. So it's still a main event program, but you're not losing the match quality by having him 1v1 in the ring for too long, hanging out near the ropes. There's a reason for him to hang out near the ropes in a tag match, and it just works perfectly. You've got that problem now that they can't book longer than a month, so they blow off, or or we have to have multiple matches. Instead of having like a three-month build with a tag match and uh, something else to get you to the big show, we have three No, and the other problem being as well, if a champion's not going to lose a belt on pay-per-view, then they have to have a tag match on the Raw before so he can lose to the challenger. They could do a lot more. I don't know. Given that they've got more writers than they ever had, it seems weird that they're less creative. Uh, fans will, will enjoy what you tell them as long as it's enjoyable. It's, uh, it's one of the things. It's like, if you take... I know it's an old analogy, but if you take the Avengers films... And then you take the Justice League film. They're essentially the same film, but one's written well, one's written poorly. And that's that's the only difference really between the two. And if you write it well, it doesn't matter. You can make it like you can make a storyline last a year. They have done. People aren't bored. It's this idea that we're all I haven't got time and we're all bored and get bored easily. And it's like, no, we're not. It, it, it's it, we're only gonna get bored easily because you're giving us stuff that's not uh, something I can hold on to or look forward to. Nah, probably off on a tangent, but uh, yeah, I was thinking that while I was watching. Like, I've been watching a lot of old wrestling, and it does. It's, if it's written well, it can take. You could have a few of the last years if you wanted to. Agree completely. Back to the match, Andre hits his classic mudslide moves, then puts on a nerve hold, and puts on a really clever move, choking Hogan with his um, strap of his singlet, but his arm's so big he can hide it underneath his arm, so Jesse doesn't see it, so that was very cool. Um, we get a big Hogan chant. DiBiase comes in for a couple of clotheslines and his beautiful-looking fish drops. We get a double clothesline, and they both go down, and we get the hot tag. Macho comes in, hits a back row, uh, backdrop, and then a top rope clothesline. Uh, not a clothesline, off the top rope, jumping and... <laughs> Uh, running DBLC's neck onto the top rope, a top rope back sandal, and then a crossbody for a two count before Andre comes in and basically sits on his head, which looked pretty nasty. I don't, I don't even know how he face some of Andre's moves. Like when he stands on you, no idea. That's a, that's a heavy man, and I can't work out how, they, how he's not standing on them. He has to be. 
between that and the bonsai drop, yeah, it's just rough yeah. stuff. I wouldn't want to take either. Um, we get Ted DiBiase missing a second rope elbow, and we get a tag to Hogan, who comes in with a big clothesline before locking a sleeper on DiBiase. Macho Man comes in and eats an Andre boot as Andre saves Ted, and the faces are sent out to the floor. And that's when the secret weapon unveils itself. It's Liz. She's on the apron, and she rips off her skirt, displaying her red underwear, which catches the heels completely by surprise. Back before Deborah did this every week on Raw with a top. And on the outside, this allows time for the Mega Powers to regroup. They put on that classic Mega Powers handshake, and Macho heads up top and hits Andre with an axe handle. Hogan comes in and slams DiBiase. He gets hit with the top rope elbow from Macho and the leg from Hogan for the one, two, three. Jesse Ventura pauses on two, but Macho Man gives him a helping hand, slapping the mat the third time, and the baby faces send the Madison Square Garden home happy with a big pose down in the ring with Liz. So, what did you think about this main event, this big time tag match for the first ever SummerSlam? Pretty much did everything it needed to. Uh, again, sounds like I'm uh, in particularly positive after all the uh, EWA stuff, but uh, this is just how we do it. The, the four guys, you've got a worker in Savage. Hogan doesn't get the credit he deserves as much as uh, I hate to say it. The heels are working perfectly. And even Miss Elizabeth's interaction is it's very innocent in the way she does it. It's not... I don't, it's, I don't know how to put it, it's not degraded. I know it's a, somebody taking the skirt off to distract the heels, but even that works. It's, uh, I must do something. I'm going to show them my pants. But it's sort of like coy. And uh, I really liked it. I really enjoyed the match. Uh, I, I probably could have watched longer, but I didn't need to. It was perfect, perfect length. Did everything you needed. Sent the crowd home happy. At no point did I want to rip my eyes out while Hogan was on the screen. All good. So, overall thoughts on SummerSlam then? Great show. Loved it. Uh, went a lot quicker than I thought. Again, having come off uh, the experience we've had with the uh, other shows, uh, while we've been reviewing things of this time period a little bit earlier, I'm always a little worried now. This was perfect show. I don't think there was a match I particularly disliked in it. I think there was a bit of filler, but it wasn't... I didn't feel like I had to sit through something to get to... To the main event, all good, enjoyed it, uh, and I would probably—I was almost tempted to watch the uh, probably the next show, except I've got so many timelines and things I'm watching on the uh, the network, I haven't got time to start another one. Yep, agree completely. Um, as we said at the start of this show, this is the first show I ever watched. It's what hooked me on wrestling, so I've got nothing but praise for it. And it does really hold up. A lot of times you go back and watch something you enjoyed as a kid, and it doesn't really hold up. This one definitely does. The wrestling's good. The characters are great. It's the golden era of wrestling. And Hogan's not the champion, which is all the better for me, because not being a big Hogan fan, despite this being my era. Um, yeah, overall positive. Very much enjoyed it. So that's SummerSlam in the bag. Let's head over and check out your first show, DX In Your House. Are you ready? Hey, think you can tell us what to do? You think you can tell us what to wear? You think that you're better? Well, you better get ready. Bow to the masters. Get away into something fool We just got tired of 
think you can tell me what to do? You know who you're talking to? I think what you're trying to say is we're all recovering alcoholics if we still watch wrestling at this point in time. But you, you know, know what? There, 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 there are uh, comparisons. You don't want to, but you're still doing it. So the show itself starts with that worldwide leader in sports entertainment little opening theme. Uh, and then we go to a DX-themed hype video, which was really cool. I'm a big DX fan, so I enjoyed this. And just to smack us bang in the middle, well, not in the middle, in the end of 1997, in the middle of the beginning of the Attitude Era, Milton Bradley Karate Fighters presents Degeneration X in your house. So is there anything more late 90s than that sentence right there? <laughs> I, don't I don't think so. so. I, I mean, mean, what, what I particularly like is Degeneration X, the Anarchist, the 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 sort of like the NWO but more extreme are sponsored by a crappy plastic toy. I mean, they, they, they should be uh, sponsored by I don't know to go back to booze should be like Thunderbird wine or I don't know DX brought to you by cocaine or marijuana or something like that. No, DX Milton Bradley fighters. <laughs> That's brilliant. <laughs> we get um, Pyro and Signs Galore, so it's very much early attitude error here. We get a sign Hitman didn't give up. Um, Santa won't swing in my stocking, uh, I think that says. And then we go straight to our first match. Commentary team, of course, is the classic Attitude Era commentary team, Jerry, JR and Jerry the King Lawler. And what better colour commentator to commentate on the light heavyweight title final because it's Taka Michinoku taking on Jerry's boy, Brian Christopher. Good, Good God, God, do I, I fucking hate Brian Christopher. Christopher. I just... <laughs> just... <laughs> just... I, I, I mean, mean alright, I, I think everyone, everyone has to admit, too cool with Rikishi. It had its, had its moments, but it wasn't because of Brian Christopher. He was very much the, the third in, in between Rikishi and uh, Scotty Too Hotty. Uh, in fact, it was just, he, he could have been anybody there. I, I used to listen to an old podcast doing old TNA shows that they stopped doing it years ago. I think. Because, because it just, I think it was driving them mad. But uh, 
one, one of the, the guys, guys there was just like, like fuck you, Brian Christopher, Christopher, and I couldn't agree more. Yeah, um, there's a reason why when they stuck one of them against Dean Malenko in a light heavyweight title match on pay-per-view, it was Scotty and not Brian Christopher. So we'll, that's probably en- says enough right there. This one, however, is... Um, really, really grating early on because JR and Jerry Lawler aren't really talking about the fact that this is a tournament final for a new title. They're just playing on the father-son stuff with Lawler. The match itself starts and Brian Christopher comes off with a scoop slam and we're one move in and I can't help myself. My notes just say, my God, Brian Christopher is a prick. <laughs> oh, he's a giant douchebag. We get an arm drag and then a chant of Jerry's kid by the crowd, a big hip toss and it's like, it starts an early pattern of do a move, stall, do a move, stall. Um, Tucker flips out of a German suplex, which is something you only ever really saw in No Mercy on the Nintendo 64, so that was quite cool. He hits a spin kick, a drop kick, and then clotheslines Brian Christopher out, leading to the huge Tucker Michinoku dive we all came to know and love. Um, Brian Christopher gets back in the ring, crotches Tucker and buys himself some time, sends him out, and then he goes for a top rope dive but misses to the guardrail. Um, Tucker then misses a top rope crossbody and ends up with a huge blood mouth. We're not quite sure how that happened, but it looks to have been done the hard way. Tucker hits a Tornado DD2 for a two, a Rana, and a corner Asai Moonsault, which is quite cool. Lawler leaves the commentary t- table to go and help Brian Christopher up. Tucker hits a drop kick, a Cedar drop kick, and then Brian Christopher comes back with the stroke, so Jeff Jarrett would have been proud of that one. He had to sit out powerbomb for a two, a second rope missile drop kick, and then a rocker dropper, followed by a backbreaker for a two and a f- couple of slaps on Tucker. He then goes into a pretty racist-looking karate stance, making fun of Tucker for being Japanese, despite the fact that he does no karate whatsoever. Gets a clothesline for a two, a fist drop, which misses by about six inches, a huge German suplex for a two, a power slam, and misses his top rope leg, allowing Tucker to hit the Michinoku driver for the one, two, three. What did you think about this for an opening contest, Richie? Not, Not a bad, bad match. It's slow, which, which is ridiculous for a cruiserweight. But if you compare that to what uh, Nitro is showing at this point, it's uh, the, the WWE, WWE have never got, well, well WWF WWF never, never got, got even probably, probably now, it's only recently, even the 205 Live has actually understood what cruiserweights do. Uh, so, so it's, it's okay, okay but it's, I like Tucker. He's, he's a good wrestler. wrestler. Oh, oh, God, 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 saying, and the Mitchell driver is a great finisher, but I, I think they, they must have had people on the, on the roster better to go up with him than Brian Christopher. Brian Christopher is just wrestling WWF style, uh, non cruiserweight. I know it's like heavyweight, but it's basically cruiserweight. It's okay. You know, I wasn't particularly bored, but I can't say I wasn't looking at Twitter while I was watching it. Yeah, it's certainly not up there with any of the WCW Cruiserweight stuff. I agree completely. Um, the aftermath of the match is basically the Stooges, Patterson and Briscoe, and Tony Gurria come out and present the new light heavyweight title to Tucker, while we're told Japanese photographers are the ones jumping in the ring to take photos of him. So thankfully no fireball comes out, a la King of the Ring 93, and these are just nice neutral Japanese photographers. Yeah, 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 I mean, I mean, I mean it's, 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 it's slightly, slightly, again, pushing, pushing on the boundaries, boundaries you know, Japanese, Japanese like to take photographs. They can't help themselves. themselves. I, 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 I haven't got, got it, but I, I know Jerry, Jerry made some, some kind of dodgy joke earlier on, but I, uh, I didn't write it down, but I got it in my notes. It's like the last of the Yeah, I always think of... um. 
the I think it's a 2000 Rumble where he spends the whole night calling Kai and Tai Chinese and being corrected that they're Japanese and just think that pretty much summarizes Jerry Lawler's feeling on Asians in general. Yeah, he's very much of the opinion that they all look the same. But it ain't shit that I've done that I will sit here and apologize for. When I call Lawler a goddamn racist, he's a goddamn racist. So, moving right along and some um, non-racially charged storyline now. It's Lost Periquist taking on the DOA in the Hispanics versus the white supremacist biker feud. Nice. nice. Well, yeah, I, I believe two, two, two members of the DOA were renowned for having Nazi tattoos at one point, Ron and Dom. Yeah, it was a different time. Um, so we've got um, Lost Brequist come out rapping their entrance, which is pretty shite as a rap fan, so have that. Um, Lawler comes in um, and he basically tells us that, not comes in, but gets comes in on the call and basically tells us that we're in store for another dr- train wreck. And JR tells us these are not catches catch can specialists, so do not expect a good match. <laughs> really great. I'm glad I paid for this. I love, I love JR when he does it. it. It's just, just like, like, yeah, folks, this is going to be shit. shit. Let's, Let's get, get on with it. The match starts with a big boot from Chains, a hip toss, a clothesline uh, inside out on one of the Bariquas. Eight Ball comes in and hits a shoulder block, and Jesus comes in for a big kick. Uh, we get a chance of shave your back from the crowd. The DOA do a double clothesline, and JR says, we encourage freedom of speech and signs. So, obviously, they're allowed to say whatever they want to the guys here. We get a sidewalk slam by Eight Ball and a swinging neck breaker. Uh, Miguel hits a slam and comes off with a top rope fish drop and appears to pop out his knee, uh, selling immediately and rolling to the outside in what looks like pretty severe pain. And the match sort of stalls momentarily before going on without him with the other Bariquas, just sort of the two of them working against the three. Um, Jose in the ring puts on a chin lock to really slow it down. Miguel's really sort of rolling on the floor in agony here. So it definitely looks legit. And this brings out Savio Vega, who was the only one of them not out, and he gets on the apron looking to take his place, but the referee says no. In the ring, Chains hits a Death Valley driver before Miguel pops up off the floor, comes in and nails a somersault leg drop, and then we get uh, Jose pinning for the three count in a definite lie, cheat, and steal finish, but this one got me hook, line, and sinker. I thought his knee was legitimately gone, and for a few minutes everyone in the arena did, and then he pops up and gets the win. Yeah, yeah, I remember, I remember watching, watching this. this. I, think I think this is probably the point where I was first ever worked, worked uh, all part, part of the show. show. Uh, uh, the the, the hook to me was, was I, I, I thought that, that was it. it. That was his, his knee was toast. toast. And, and when, when he comes, comes back, back in, in you know, it, it, that, that is, is it's the, the first, first time you, 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 you know, know, I was like, hold on, on. he wasn't injured. It was great. It wasn't a bad match. This is post. Uh, screw, screw job, job. so Chris I think left, left because of the screw uh, because, because of that, that. Uh, it's, it's not great, great but, but then, then again, again we watched uh, some stuff from the AWA, AWA so I mean, I mean there's, there's some matches, matches on there involving I can't, I can't remember it is somebody, somebody rock star who turned out to be a kidney fiddler or someone else which is the absolute drizzling shit so I'll take this I'll watch this again yeah the AWA um well, probably best left alone. <laughs> that discussion there. Um, we we, 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 we have, have to go, go back, back at some, some point. point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, we're going to eventually get so far into the um, 
the next decades that we're going to have to talk about Marty Jannetty tweeting out about wanting to have sex with his daughter. Well, that's going to come up on the timeline eventually. So let's leave the um, kitty touching alone for a little while until we get there. Oh, Oh, yes. yes. So Doc Hendricks then is with Butterbean backstage. We were told he fought 24 hours ago on the undercard for an Oscar De La Hoya fight. Uh, Michael Cole is there with Sable, who held the belt up last night for Butterbean. And Miro comes in and basically stops her cutting a promo. So quick couple, quick fire couple of promos leading into the next match, which is a four-round boxing exhibition. Marvelous Mark Miro taking on Butterbean. Um, it's a bit of a worked wrestling boxing match here, though. Like The, the story of the match is basically Miro trying to cheat. So he goes to the ropes a bunch of times um, and tries to stop the fight actually happening. The third time... Butterbean just basically punches him through the ropes. Um, in the end of the first round, Miro takes a cheap shot with the bell. At the start of round two, he comes out with a knee lift, which was actually pretty funny. It made me laugh. Chokes him with tape and begins to pound away. And this is when you know it's wrestling and not boxing because a match is allowed to go on. Butterbean fights back, but then holds his eyes. And it turns out Miro has had something on his gloves between rounds. Uh, we get a bell and then a drop kick after the bell this time. In a replay, we see that Miro actually thumbed Butterbean in the eyes during the match. Um, Butterbean then comes out and offers his chin, takes a few shots before unloading, and the crowd are bored shitless with this one, do not care. Miro gets dropped, uh, but he's saved by the bell. His layout, and Butterbean tips a bucket of ice and water on him. They come for the fourth round, and we get a knockdown before Miro low blows Butterbean and attacks him with the stool, finally leading to the disqualification at the end of the fourth round, so... It was not exactly T and Piper, and it definitely wasn't anything legitimate for boxing. So, what did you think about this one? It was, it was wank. wank. This, this, this brought, brought me right, right back, back down. down. This, this was, was like, oh, now, now I remember, remember why sometimes, sometimes I don't like watching wrestling. Just shite. Oh, I wish. I almost wish these two shows were terrible shows, so they could just put the tagline of featuring Richie. It was wank. <laughs> 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 That's the quote of the show. <laughs> We've recorded this twice and nothing's made me laugh more than that. <laughs> oh. From there we go to something that definitely did not make me laugh. Luna Vachon brings out gold dust. And I'll describe this to you the best way I know how. He comes out on a leash, dressed in a pink gimp suit, barefoot, and reads, Green Eggs and Ham, Sam I Am. And... Eventually, Luna gets sick of it and drags him back out on his leash. So, I don't know what the fuck this was all about, but it happened. This, this is a little ditty that I wrote when I was a child. I would, uh, I would like to share it with you all. Y'all can shut up for a minute. A little ditty, did he say? It goes something like this. I am Sam. I am Sam. Sam, I am. There was controversial pushing it, and then there was this garbage. Yep. 
And then we go to Michael Cole with the LOD, who cut a typical LOD shouty promo, the highlight of which is calling them Mr. Ass and Mr. Dog. So cutting it on the Outlaws before their match. And that is up next, the Legion of Doom taking on the New Age Outlaws. Uh, And I've got a little note here before this match that this was one of the ones I remember vividly watching when I finally tracked down this video. Um... This was a pay-per-view that I didn't actually see until a few years after the fact, and I had to rent pay-per-views on VHS a few months after they were released here at this time period, but this is one that I never found in my local video stores, and I went a couple of suburbs over one day for something and actually managed to track this one down and watch it, and this was one of the ones, my new favorite tag team, the Outlaws, against one of my classic favorite tag teams, the LOD, so I was really pumped for this one when I saw it on the back of the cover. Yeah, definitely. On the way down is definitely the way to look at it for the LOD. Um, we get a bit of a cat and mouse entrance to open things off here with the Outlaws sort of coming out and then backing off and the LOD just itching to get them. The Outlaws just keep running away until eventually uh, the Stooges come out and send them in, threatening them, saying they have to go in for the match. It starts with an animal clothesline and a hawk dropkick and a big LOD chance. They're still very over at this point. We get that classic hawk neckbreaker and then... Hawk um, sends one of them off the apron, and we get a double clothesline. We get a powerbomb from Animal for a two-count, and a bit of a weird using of the wrong corners um, because we've got water spilled in the tag corners from the boxing match in the previous match, so out of the buckets. The Outlaws um, walk out again, but the LOD catch them, and we brawl along the outside. And then Road Dog hits Hawk to the back with a Styrofoam Esky. Um, Billy Gunn low blows one of them with the referee's attention turned, and Billy Gunn again uses the esky and breaks it. Um, Jerry Lawler tells us it's styrofoam as well, so really doesn't help at the angle here at all, but I suppose they're not lying to us at least. Road Dog hits a drop kick and then a bit of a worm, which is pretty funny to see before Scotty was really around. Um, goes into the pin from that for a two count. Billy Gunn hits a knee drop uh, and says something which is bleeped on the camera, so I'm not sure what that was. We had a double clothesline, and then finally a hot tag, and Animal comes in all over the road dog with a power slam, a shoulder, goes for the doomsday device, but Henry Godwin comes out and nails him with a bucket, um, and then Hawk gets it and nails everybody in the ring, earning the LOD a disqualification, so a bit of a cheap finish to what was a fairly hot match. It wasn't the best of matches as far as wrestling goes, but the crowd were well into it, so did you enjoy this one, Richie? Yeah, yeah, it was, it was good. good. I, didn't, I, didn't, I thought, thought the ending, ending was a product, product of probably the LOD still having enough popularity to say we ain't jobbing, jobbing uh, in, in this one. one. But I, I, don't I don't think it hurt the, the, uh, the Outlaws too, too much. Yeah, I think it was... Um, the DQ was uh, not the, the, the hottest way to do this. And I think a good blow-off would have done the world a good, but I guess they'd probably want to drag it on and also transition the LOD into an, in their next feud as well. So that's what we got. Um, it was what it was. We go to our next match, which is Triple H taking on Sergeant Slaughter in a boot camp match. And we get a bit of a hype video for this one with a war theme. Um, and we see some old clips of Sergeant Slaughter back in his glory days. Before the match starts, we get a Triple H promo backstage with Michael Cole. Um, and he really goes to town with the old man joke. So we'll put a little bit of this in here for everybody to listen to. I think when you began this disrespect of Commissioner Slaughter, that it would backfire in your face? Backfire? 
You're a bigger idiot than I thought. Look at what I got right here is a special survival kit for Sergeant Slaughter. I've got all I'm going to need to beat Sergeant Slaughter in this bag. I've got a comb, specially made to comb his hair so it'll look good when he goes to the ring. I've got Metamucil. I've got prunes to loosen the old man up. And don't worry, Sarge, I've got your back covered too, because I got you some Depends. Listen up, Slaughter. This is not your generation. This is not the next generation. This, and put that camera on me, idiot. This is degeneration. And Slaughter, remember, X marks the spot. And when I get done, Slaughter, there'll be no hard feelings. As a matter of fact, I might take a swing by your house and let your old lady take a smoke of the peace pipe. And then we get a promo with Sergeant Slaughter who um, comes out to the ring for the match afterwards and he's coming out to the Kurt Angle slash Patriot music, which is pretty funny for me. Like It's been overused a little bit now, but it's always funny seeing the, the guys they tried to shoehorn in with it earlier on. This, this is, is a piece, piece of music that Jim Johnson, Johnson loved. And, and I, 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 that's, that's what I always get the feeling. Like we, we will get, get someone over with, with this music. <laughs> yeah, it's just going to go to everybody until somebody sticks. Slaughter goes on the attack early, uh, including using his riding crop to the throat, um, a gut buster, and they brawl along the outside. Slaughter takes off his belt and whips Triple H with it, so he's getting a good amount of offense. Before Triple H blocks um, the Cobra Clutch, Slaughter takes a big top rope turnbuckle bump. Uh, they brawl along the outside some more, and Triple H nails Mark Yeaton with the bell, which is a bit harsh. Nails Sergeant Slaughter on the back with it afterwards, and then hits him with a chain for a two count. Tosses him over the top rope, and he comes off the ropes himself with a flying nothing to eat a boot. Um, we then get a suplex from Slaughter. Uh, he goes up top but gets caught, press slammed off, and pinned for a two count. Triple H hits a sleeper. Slaughter gets out and locks on the Cobra Clutch, but China comes in for the save. Jerry Lawler with the classic line, thank God for women in the military there. Uh, China then <laughs> na- nails the ref, gives Triple H a chair, and he gets, uh, gets back out. He goes for Slaughter, but eats victory powder. Triple H then manages to nail uh, Slaughter with a boot. Slaughter locks in the clutch, though, um, before a the, the hand drops twice on Triple H, and as the third's about to go, China gets in with a big low blow punt to the balls of Slaughter, allowing Triple H to then hit a pedigree on the steel chair for the 1-2-3, um, ending it and giving Triple H the win over the retired Sergeant Slaughter. So what did you think about this one? Well, given yeah, definitely. It was it, the action was okay considering who was in the ring and the story and the heat was good, so I, I didn't mind it. We then go backstage to Michael Cole with Jeff Jarrett, who um, calls Michael Cole Mark through the promo. Uh, he's about to face The Undertaker, so a little promo there before going out for the match. And he has an awful theme with him speaking all the way through it, just quotes. It's really bad. Uh, and he's got sort of that pre-Jeff Jarrett shorts and short hair look going on here with the flash-up lights and, you know, transitioning from the cowboy outfit into the, the more modern Jeff Jarrett we all recognize now. So not really working for me there. And I... I can honestly say I never bought Jeff Jarrett as a main eventer in the WWF, so that was my thoughts on him. 
when the match gets underway, Undertaker stalks Jeff Jarrett um, before Jarrett would hit a move and run. Eventually, Taker catches him and lanes into him with the big punches in the corner, a clothesline for a two before working over the arm, leading into old school. Jeff Jarrett goes for Taker's leg in return and hits a chop block and goes all over the leg. Taker then, though, does come back and hit him with a leg drop, a uh, big boot, and the lights go out. And, of course, that's got to be, that's got to be Kane on the way to the ring. Kane, Kane looks, looks an absolute, absolute monster. monster. Oh, he was so big when he debuted, wasn't he? He was jacked. Proper, Proper like, like uh, being taken, taken his vitamins. vitamins. <laughs> and he comes out and very smartly chokeslams Jeff Jarrett, not The Undertaker. Um, the lights are all still red in the early doors of Kane here, so I, I found that pretty cool. And then he slaps Undertaker, sets off some pyro and leaves. Um, Jeff Jarrett goes for the leg of The Undertaker, puts on the figure four, um, but Taker sits up and hits a goozle and choke slams him. And of course, um, with him having hit Jeff Jarrett first, Kane, that means the Undertaker loses by disqualification. So Jarrett gets the, the cheap win and is then laid out by Taker to boot. And that's how we end the segment there. Yeah, yeah uh, I, 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 it, was it was basically, basically just something, something to try keep the Kane Undertaker going. going. I'm not, I'm not a big, big fan, fan of Jarrett, Jarrett particularly. particularly. I did I like, like that uh, when Jarrett, Jarrett goes up for the uh, choke slam, slam, I think he jumps a bit too hard and, and almost flies out of the Undertaker's hand. Yeah, I do love the the light guys that could take that choke slam with some real air. It made it look very cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's the, the uh, complete opposite of that choke slam he gives Hogan in about 2002 that's on there. Botchamania where Hogan goes about half a foot. He's like gently putting him down. I think I've hit both my daughters with better choke slams than that. Man. We then go into the crowd with Michael Cole, who finds Mark Henry sat in the Milton Bradley section of the crowd, asks him who he's here with, and Mark Henry does not know a single person's name, so that really pops me. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, um, all the guys from Milton Bradley are here. Everybody's here. It's brilliant. I'd love, I'd love if you just, just said to Cole, Cole I've got, got to be honest, honest I've only just, just sat down, down here because I didn't want to be here with these marks. marks. <laughs> There's Milton over there, and Bradley's just come for some beers. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Where's, Where's got 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 down down dog? <laughs> we then go into a really good video package um, for the awesome Austin and Rock storyline that we're in the middle of here. So that's all revolving around the Intercontinental title at this stage in their careers. Um, Doc Hendricks then interviews the Rock with the Nation, and we get a huge Rocky Sucks chant on his entrance with the Nation because this is really the hot, one of the hot storylines in the company at the moment. Stone Cold comes out in a truck, and the crowd are eating it up. Very, very hot for this. All the Nation try and attack him, but Austin fights back. He uh, backdrops D'Lo Brown onto the windscreen and then hits him with a stunner on top of the truck, which is just really cool looking. Um, the bell rings and they exchange punches and the crowd is still really hot. Uh, Austin hits a Thez press before Rock tosses him out to Kama and Farouk who attack. Um, Kama goes to nail him with a chair, uh, but Stone Cold sends Kama into the truck and then Rock low blows him and hits a slam and a very early edition of the people's elbow for a two count. We get a big 316 chant as the Rock hits a knee lift, misses a second rope elbow and eats some mud hole stomps from Stone Cold. Uh, we then get a stunner by accident on the referee, but then he does hit the rock with a stunner afterwards. A new ref comes out, counts the one, two, three, and the crowd absolutely love every minute of this. It's a bit of a wild brawl between Austin and the nation that he finally gets the upper hand, but it does work because Austin is so fucking over right now. 
Oh, oh yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean this, this is the perfect. perfect. I mean, if, if you, you look, look at how they almost treat intercontinental belts and inconvenience right, right now, uh, this, this is just over the belts, belts over the got these two guys, guys just, just never, never fail. fail. To deliver, I don't think. And, uh, even, even though, though the nation fed Austin a little bit, I don't, I don't think, think it made, made anyone look weak. Austin's, Austin's obviously, obviously on the rise. rise. Uh, I think you can tell that The Rock has got, got things uh, in his future, future at this point. point. So you, so you do, do feel, feel like you're watching two guys, guys on the up, up uh, trying, trying to find, find a way. I mean, I think missing a few things like The Rock, the people's elbow not being finished yet. Uh, and, and not, not going, going out to the smell, smell what the rock is cooking, but other than that, that it's just everything you needed. I don't even think, think that the rock losing particularly hurt him because he was, he was still, still strong. strong that, that makes sense. sense. He, he didn't lose, lose by, by losing, losing that, that makes sense. sense. Yeah, no, I think both these guys were on the rise, and you could definitely tell, and the crowd could tell as well, which makes for a really good segment. We then go to a video package on Ken Shamrock, um, and it shows the uh, the boot twisting promo from Michaels, where he has his ankle twisted around and around and around by Triple H in preparation. Um, and we have Jim Cornette interviewing Ken Shamrock, so it's an okay promo, nothing great. DX cut a promo of their own, and again, it, it's nothing to write home about, but it's okay. And we go into our main event, Ken Shamrock challenging Shawn Michaels for the World Heavyweight title. Um, I really thought Ken Shamrock could have been a main event player, and is someone they really miss the boat on. I think Shamrock versus Brock Lesnar is something that I really could have gotten behind, or even Shamrock versus Kurt Angle. So, oh, you know, sad to say as, as it is, um, Shamrock could have really gone against some of the radical guys, especially Benoit as well. So um, definitely someone that maybe just came a little bit too soon to be as big of a name as he could have been, because Shamrock had the look, he had the, the character. His promos weren't great, but he had an intensity about him, and his work rate was really good as well. So I'm a big... Ken Shamrock fan. Do you think that maybe he, um, they didn't get the best out of him? No, no I, think I think his, his problem, problem was that he was, was up against Austin, uh, who had possibly a, a, a better gimmick at the time. time and the story story line with Vince. I think it was really good. I, I think they, they almost they, they, they didn't, didn't do many, many favours by later, later on putting him in the stuff with, with Dan Severin and Blackman. Although the match was okay, it was I think, I think he, he could, could have, have done, done better. better. Uh, he, he never really had that, uh, that, that, that storyline that propelled him. him. I mean, I mean if, if I remember, I remember correctly, correctly I, he, he was part of the ministry angle where he's, he's rescuing Stephanie from, from the ministry. ministry. It's, it's not, not where Austin runs in, in, but there's, there's a bit there. there and he, 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 the, the pop he gets is quite big. You could see sort of like him being pushed, but the next week he was back where he was before. So There was definitely... A, a, a big, big character miss out. I was always surprised he went to UFC because at the time, time WCW was still, still around. I'm surprised, I'm surprised they wouldn't have uh, picked him up. up. It was, uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 he definitely was, 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 was something, something they missed, which was, was rare, rare at this point. point. I'd say he probably did all right for himself with that money match with Tito Ortiz, though. As much as he got his head kicked in, he must have made a mint from that. But yeah, I, um, I definitely think... I mean, he came back in TNA later, so he obviously did enjoy wrestling, but yeah, just, but I guess the right guy in the wrong time for me. The match itself gets underway with some punches from Shawn Michaels, a big kick from Shamrock before Michaels goes on the arm. We get a big beal from Shamrock and a backdrop, and Michaels takes his patented corner bump before coming back and spitting on Shamrock. He hits a 10-punch combo. Uh, Shamrock comes back with a back elbow and a delayed vertical suplex. Clotheslines Michaels out and hits a double noggin knocker with he and Triple H. 
Michaels comes back with a sunset flip before Shamrock lifts him and choke uh, in a choke out of the sunset flip. Um, crutches Michaels on the ropes, and then Michaels grabs the referee to stop the belly-to-belly suplex, which was built up as one of Shamrock's big moves. We get a low kick and a close line out, and then Ken goes to work on everybody, so Michaels, Helmsley just really goes at them. China pushes Shamrock to the post, though, and this allows Michaels to come off the apron to the floor with a big splash, which was pretty cool. In the ring, he hits a drop kick for a two count, a clothesline, and a sleeper before Shamrock comes back with a big corner clothesline, a backdrop, and a power slam for a two, a hurricane rana, and then Shawn Michaels thumbs him in the eye. Ken blocks a hurricane rana of Michaels with a power bomb, which gets him a two, and then Shawn Michaels um, distracts with the referee, allowing Triple H to punch him. Michaels comes back with a top rope elbow, but misses Chim Music. Shamrock hits a belly-to-belly suplex and locks in the ankle lock, but Triple H jumps in and saves with the cheap DQ. So we had that in the tag title match earlier, and now we've got it here. I thought this was... um, I I really hated this finish. What did you think? Uh, Not Not a great great finish finish, at all, right, Matt? Matt. Yeah. The missus who uh, got, got to enjoy, enjoy this with me pointed out that Ken Shamrock was very much the 1990s Roderick Strong. Yeah, I, I can see a little bit of that. Um, but, yeah, just... Um, I, I wouldn't have minded if they hadn't have done this in the tag match, but a shit DQ end. And then even, like, the boot camp match, it was um, China jumping in and just basically saving Triple H from losing to Slaughter. So just poor form having sort of the three, three of the four main matches end like this for me. But otherwise, it was good action, and Shamrock was really a believable contender for the title here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean if, if going, going back to what you just said, said it's, it's, it's also Kane and uh, Double J. That's also a DQ. So there's more DQ finishes on this than there is actual clean finishes, I think. Uh, it was all right. I mean, I mean Ken, Ken Shamrock, Shamrock, I think, does enough, enough to, 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 to at least have, have a, a, a rain. rain. It's just not going to take, take that, that belt off sure. Yeah, I agree. Um after that, the bit of a three-on-one beat down to Shamrock before Michaels goes on the apron and celebrates facing the crowd. And Owen Hart comes out of the crowd in a hoodie and knocks Michaels off the apron through the announce table, begins punching him. Triple H grabs him, but Owen Hart quickly escapes Triple H and runs back through the crowd uh, before the officials come back out to help Ken as we finish with the announcement that the match did, in fact, end in a disqualification. So a little bit of a flurry there before we get the official announcement. DX celebrate as Garbage pelts them from the crowd, which ends a pretty good show overall. I mean, the finishes we, we talked about not being great, but the action was good. The storylines were good. The characters were good. I really enjoyed this overall. What did you think? Yep, yep another, another nice, nice little show. show. Uh, they didn't have, have to, to resort, resort to reading uh, old, old wrestlers moaning about, about uh, new wrestlers, wrestlers on Twitter, Twitter so all was good. good. Particularly, Particularly like, like Owen's running. running. I, mean, I mean, even, even now, now I, 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 it was uh, good, good, but back, back then, then I remember being, being spectacularly confused uh, because they're, they're still, still talking about Brett leaving, leaving, which is, is odd. They don't often, often, they're, they're not, not ones really to hock to the, to the past, past or even acknowledge the uh, competition at this point. Vince has never, never done that. that. Don't give them time on my TV. But strong makes you want to watch Raw. Which, which is the whole, whole point. point. And uh, I, I definitely was tempted, tempted to watch, watch the Raw after, after this to see, see what, what was happening. happening. So that, that did, did everything he needed to do in that, in that case. case. 
All right. Well, we've now discussed this pay-per-view twice, so hopefully one of these recordings is going to be passable and we're going to get them up. Uh, do you want to go through and pick ourselves a winner? I actually don't have the notes from when we picked the winner last time, so I'm interested to see if the same show comes out on top. I was, I was just thinking, thinking that because I don't, I don't remember. Yeah, the absence of another few weeks. Let's see if it made either show come out stronger. Let's, Let's do, do it. it. So, for storylines, who did you have on the two shows being the best storylines uh, for inv- advancement and current sittings? I'm, I'm going to go, go in, in your house, house but, but I, I think, think that's, that's probably more because of which, instead instead of, we're, 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 we're kind, kind of comparing, comparing two different time periods, periods as opposed to two shows, shows in the same year. year. I, 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 I think, think that, that going, going forward in your, your house provided, provided uh, obviously Owen Hart running in. Uh, provides, provides a storyline story like that. that. I know it, it basically, basically goes to shit, shit. Uh, because, because he ends up jobbing Triple H in WrestleMania. But that, 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 that's a bit of a shock. Return. I thought that the storyline with Kane and Undertaker saying that it's still a nice slow burn. We've kind of, I feel like we're getting towards the end of the gang wars. You know that Austin and Rock probably hasn't finished. Because... Although, Although he, he wins, wins, I don't, I don't think, think he necessarily feels, feels like a, a, a possibly a few blow-offs. So, so you can start, start the direction there. there. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Even, even the outlaws, uh, you've, you've got, got the Legion of Doom, Doom fending off the Godwin. Godwin. So, yeah, on the, on the Summer Slam, Slam I, felt I felt there were more matches that were there to exist. I mean, admittedly, my memory's probably fresh. I've just gone through this one again. But, but uh, even, even like Jake, Jake and uh, Rude, they didn't they battle. battle. It just, just took them on. I didn't, I didn't really, really feel like that, uh, the, the mega powers, powers and the mega books, books. didn't do anything to, to forward that. that. But maybe, maybe, maybe that's, that's just uh, because, because this one's less fresh in my mind. Some of the but, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm going in house. I couldn't split them on this one. I went with a tie. Um, in Your House definitely had a lot of current storylines, but it also had a lot of stuff that was sort of one and done and ended. SummerSlam had a few matches that really didn't advance anything. For example, Ken Batera and Dino Bravo really wasn't any part of a big story. But on the other hand, it had a lot more long-term story building than In Your House had. So the Mega Powers, Mega Bucks is something that's been going on, you know, through the entirety of 1988 and, and goes into 1989, leading into the sort of offshoot between Hogan and Savage. Um, Jake and, and Rick Rude, despite not being in the same match, both of their singles matches advanced their feud further. Um, the Warrior and Honky was a great little one-night story as well. So I, I found they did have quite a bit of better long-term story, but In Your House definitely probably had more stories per matches. So I, I couldn't split them and went with a tie on that one. As far as um, characters on the show, who did you think featured the better characters on the night? I think, think probably SummerSlam. I, I think there, there was, you know, you've got, got Macho, Macho Warrior, Warrior, Hogan, Hogan DiBiase, Andre, Andre, Jake, Jake uh, Rick, Rick Rude. I think, I think that, that overall, the, the strength, strength of that, that, character, that, that roster is still, still better than, than, uh, than in your house. house. You, can you can see, see I, mean, I mean, it's, it's not, not like Austin, Austin isn't, isn't, isn't there. there. It's just, 
they, 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 they've got Lost Brewers and DOA on, on, on the yeah, house that aren't very interesting. Brian, Brian fucking Christopher's, Christopher's on there. there. So, so now no, I've, I've, I've got to go some. It's the old-star team of the 80s. It's pretty, pretty much, much on, on that, that, that roster. roster. So, so I'm, I'm going to go somewhere. Yeah, I, I agree with you completely. I think pretty much everybody on SummerSlam has main evented a territory before, you know, in the previous five years. I mean, even like Hacksaw on the Brother Love Show was a big star. JYD was a big star. Um, Macho, Hogan, Andre, DiBiase, Warrior, Rude, Roberts. It's just, it's, it's an all-star cast. There's no... Um, Miguel Perez on this show, <laughs> so you know, not to pick on the poor Bariquas, but yeah, the Bariquas and the DOA and Brian Christopher, I think you nailed it on the head there. So definitely SummerSlam. It's, it's like, like you've, you've got, got Hulk Hogan, Hogan or Brown 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 Lee. Lee. It's, it's like, like <laughs> oh, let's not start on Brian Lee just yet. <laughs> um, production value. Who did you go with on production value? Uh, I'd probably, probably draw, draw. They're, they're both great, great for their, their times. times. I, think I think there's, I don't, don't think, think there's, there's any mistakes. mistakes. You, can you can see, see the evolution, evolution. Uh, which, which, which is something that you can't, can't be said, said now. now. If you put Raw on or a pay-per-view on now, now uh, they didn't tell me the year, year and I didn't know the storylines. I would be able to tell the difference between 2000 and 2017, There's, There's bigger, bigger feuds, Warrior, well, the Warrior pop for a start, but you've also, also got, got uh, the Mega Powers pop when, when they come out versus the Mega Books, books. Just, and then and the pose off, off at the end. end. The, the, uh, the crowd at times have found that your house was, was a little bit quiet, I think they, they killed, killed it with boxing, boxing match, match, to be honest, honest. a little bit. bit. Uh, and you're not going to get the same reaction with Ken and Sean. I mean, Sean always got odd reactions. Anyway, sometimes, sometimes I always felt, felt you, sometimes, sometimes didn't quite, quite get, get the pop he deserved. deserved. But, but yeah, yeah got to go. It's the all star cast at the, at the absolute peak, peak of, of 80s wrestling. wrestling. You, just, you, you, you can't, can't beat that. that. Yeah, I agree completely. I think you can probably cancel Hogan and Austin out with the two crowds, um, both hugely over. But the SummerSlam crowd, I know it's an earlier time and a bigger venue, but. They pop for a lot of stuff. The Heart Foundation, The Ultimate Warrior, Jake Roberts. Um, yeah, just a lot of stuff. And the heels all get true heel heat as well. So definitely SummerSlam for me on that one. Which brings us to our last category of match quality. And this being, you know, nine years apart, it's going to be interesting to see which one you pick on this one. I think, I think if you uh, take, take it on match, match quality, quality alone, it's probably, probably SummerSlam. SummerSlam. It's... There's, I'm, I'm wasn't a big, big fan, fan of the Cruiserweight match, match. Mostly, mostly because it was, it was a bit laborious. I, I, I was never a fan of the way that they used to make them wrestle. I just think even Brian Christopher could probably wrestle better
Whereas, Whereas uh, on, on SummerSlam, it's, it's a different, different time, it's different, different wrestling style, style but, but even uh, some, some of the matches they threw out there, like uh, I think Don, Don Morocco goes on, on there. On there. I wonder, again, again, I, I, I always, always come back to it. If, if, you don't, if, if I'm, I'm not bored, bored that's, that's a good match. match. I, I, I should never be bored. bored. I, don't I don't mind if it's, if it's a chin lock, lock if it's not boring. So I'm going to go SummerSlam. I think they've got Brett and Anvil. Even like... Yeah, I agree completely. I think SummerSlam's full of solid wrestling. Um, there's a, a couple of low points. So, you know, um, Patera and Bad News and Dino Bravo and Don Morocco weren't the best matches, although you're probably right in that Morocco and Bravo was quick enough and short enough to be passable. Um, Patera and Bad News is definitely a pretty awful match. Um, but... Overall, like the matches were solid, and in your house featured good matches. It just didn't feature, I guess, the, the high average that SummerSlam featured. You know, Austin and Rock was an entertaining brawl. Shamrock and Michaels was a decent main event. The Outlaws and LOD was was hot enough with the crowd, and the opener was okay. But yeah, when you take into account Jarrett and Undertaker really not doing anything other than advancing Kane, the Los Bariquas and DOA having a six man tag, and the um boxing match seemingly just not wanting to end i think you're probably right that SummerSlam overall has better matches on an average so that makes SummerSlam a pretty handy winner here but i i will say this is probably closer than what the score line shows because i think in your house was definitely an enjoyable show this is the first time probably i can remember or certainly between you and i on this little run is the first time i've really truly enjoyed watching both shows and could easily go back and watch either one again so the winner here is wrestling. Definitely. I think, I think, I think also, also we're reviewing a major pay-per-view against a, a, uh, a minor, minor pay-per-view. So, so there's, there's always, always going to be a difference in what they're, they're willing to put onto uh, in your house, house as opposed to if we've done SummerSlam versus SummerSlam. Definitely. Anyone check 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 out. I think anybody who's a fan of the Attitude Era, which I think we all are, probably, should go check the 97 stuff around now because... So All right, well, that'll do it for this episode. So take two. Thank you all for listening. Um, we have probably motored through a little bit of this one just because we've done it a second time around and it's, it's a bit hard to recycle everything. So hopefully the audio quality comes out a little bit better. Um, thanks as always, Richie. Uh, we're about to record another episode which may come out before or after this. So look for us on Raw versus ECW um, and check us out on Twitter, Facebook, iTunes. Give us a five-star review. Look up myself and Richie on Twitter and come chat about either of these two shows if you feel inclined. Uh, thanks very much for listening. <laughs>